when we were running our staffing company, we really didn't have a good software package to do that. So being stubborn software engineers, we started writing our own and that was Brightmove. So we wrote Brightmove in 2003 to 2004. We showed it to some local HR departments and they, they bought it. So we thought we had something, you know, we thought we had a product. Thank you for listening. This is Brett Trainer, your host for Hardwired for Growth, a podcast where we strive to help entrepreneurs and business owners not only grow their businesses, but scale them. We do this by having conversations with industry experts and the entrepreneurs who have successfully scaled their own businesses. Statistics show that only 5% of all startups ever achieve annual revenue of a million dollars and less than 1% reach 10 million. Our mission is to help more than double the number of companies that reach each of those thresholds. The voice you heard a moment ago is that of Dave Webb. Dave is the co-founder and CEO of fast-growing software company, Brightmove. In this episode, Dave shares his journey in a real and honest way. Brightmove was a side hustle for over a decade before they went all in. Dave shares how Brightmove was created as an internal tool for one of their first businesses because it solved a problem. This tool ultimately became the core of their software company. There are so many great lessons in this episode. Dave shares a number of pivots they made in the ups and downs of entrepreneurship, how there is no such thing as an overnight success. You have to be prepared for the long journey and you better enjoy what you're doing. Some of the questions that we answer in this episode are why each of the businesses Dave and Jimmy created were built on solving problems. Is there a perfect time to move from a side hustle to all in on your business? how listening to customers gave him the competitive advantage from the beginning, and he still listens. Dave shares what he would have done differently or sooner, what an overnight success really is, and much, much more. Now, on to the intro. Welcome back. You're listening to Hardwired for Growth, a podcast dedicated to helping entrepreneurs and business owners who are looking for sustainable and scalable growth strategies, led by your host, Brett Trainer. Hey, good morning, Dave, and welcome to the show. Good morning, Brett. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure to have you. I'm definitely looking forward to this conversation. So help us kick this off. Why don't you tell me and uh, the audience a little bit about, you know, Bright Move, the company, and, you know, kind of who you're working with today and, and what you're up to. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So Brightmove is an applicant tracking system, and we service the RPO, staffing company, PEO, and HR department sector. And we really automate and streamline the process of advertising a job, handling the influx of candidates to that job, and then choosing the best candidate to get that position filled and to retain that talent uh, that's so costly and hard to find. Yeah, that isn't that the truth. <laughs> Getting somebody to stay almost is as tough as it is to, to find them in this employment market. And, and maybe even just to take a step back and educate me as well as maybe the audience in RPO and, you know, some of the acronyms you just used, um, you know, what are those types of companies that you are working with? Yeah, I'd be happy to. And I, I guess I take for granted that everybody knows the three-letter acronyms that we use around the office every day. And uh, probably <laughs> I do it all probably the time. sound as foreign as uh, as me sitting in, in one of your meetings. So yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, I'll start kind of with what people are probably more familiar with. An HR department would be like a, uh, a group or a department at a particular company, usually mid-sized to enterprise level company, just responsible for the human resource acquisition and management for that company. So okay. think of a large bank or a large insurance company. They're, they're going to have a staff that's responsible for finding talent for, for the people, uh, the hiring managers within that organization. There's, you know, they can have hundreds to tens of thousands of employees. Staffing companies are more of your traditional hourly contract labor. So maybe a lot of people call it temp or okay. temp, temp to hire, temp to perm. RPO yeah, stands for recruitment process outsourcing. And that's where a staffing company can come in and kind of act as a hybrid solution or a, a, a all-inclusive solution for that HR department that I mentioned first. So you can actually supplement your HR department with an RPO company to help with seasonal hiring or just kind of unplanned growth or even planned growth that you don't want to just hire a bunch of uh, additional HR department staff for. And then the last one is PEO, which stands for a um, professional employment organization, also known as employee leasing. And this is where small businesses that don't have enough employees to take advantage of some of the 
larger company benefits packages kind of grouped together with these PEO companies. So a company with two or three employees can offer the same benefits package like 401k and health insurance to their employees as if they were a large company because they pull together tens of thousands of employees to to kind of uh, share those benefits. Oh, interesting. Okay. Now I'm embarrassed to admit that I should have known that because I've actually got, you know, a cousin, some family that own a, a staffing agency, a temp staffing agency in, in Iowa. And my daughter is actually a recruiter for an RPL. <laughs> so, okay. Um, I'm just out of curiosity, have you seen any shifts in those industries where I, and again, am I less than educated, knowledge is, you know, the staffing companies have been around for a while with the temp workers and industry and, and that, but is there been an increase in the RPOs and PEOs in the last couple of years? RPO is relatively new. So that industry itself is a shift in the overall human resources kind of umbrella. And uh, I'd say PEOs, you know, they, um, they get paid by uh, either a percentage of the payroll that you run through them or, the, or, the, or your headcount. And they're starting to realize that having a good applicant tracking system like Brightmove as one of their offerings helps their customers hire people faster. And if you think about it, that makes sense for them because if their customers are hiring people, their, their revenue is also increasing because they have more people to provide services to. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So awesome. Okay. Well, thank you for, for kind of level setting and talking about where, where Bright Move is today. But really what the, the purpose and my intent was to, to have you on was kind of talk about that journey because I think we were kind of joking before we hit record that, you know, you're a, a what was it, a 10-year overnight success or I may be exaggerating <laughs> a little bit, but there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears that went in to, to get the company where it is today. And so kind of where I'd like to start is let's go back pre-Bright Move. And I know there was a company prior to Bright Move that you pivoted to and kind of talk about your, your entrepreneurial journey. Because if I'm not mistaken, based on yours, you started in kind of the corporate world and you know let's let's start there and and talk about how you move to the entrepreneurial world. Yeah, I I can do that. That's um so my my background is in computer science. That's what I went to school for and I graduated from college in 1997 and the I'll try to paint the scene for you. It's 3 years before Y2K. The okay. world is going to end. <laughs> right. PMs are going to stop working. You, you can just imagine the the panic that everyone had because of this two digit year four digit year dilemma and i uh I graduated with practically practically no experience i had had been doing some part time work for a, a company in Jacksonville and we actually it was my first introduction to human resources technology we had a um we had a job board that we had written kind of pre monster pre career builder and that, and that was kind of, I was getting my feet wet with writing web applications for uh, job distribution and, and, and resume management. Okay. So, you know, at that time I'm, I'm talking to recruiters and um, they're calling me and they're like, Hey, do you, do you know, uh, you know, Microsoft SQL server? I, I can't remember the exact skill. And I was saying, no, that's not really what I do. I know they look the same on my resume and they're very similar acronyms, but it's two totally different technologies. And they would say, okay, well, we're just going to go ahead and submit you anyway. And <laughs> okay. I was like, that doesn't sound ethical. And they're like, yeah, don't, don't worry. You know, if you can breathe and show up, you'll get paid. You know, and I, I remember one company wanted to send me to Paris to do Y2K stuff. And I'm like, you know, that's, that's COBOL. That's not really what I'm, what I'm, you know, trying to do. So I kind of saw this gap there where it was, it was the wild west. There was a kind of a lack of conducting business professionally and ethically. And after being a contractor for um, a couple of years, the kind of the dot-com boom came and kind of overlapped the Y2K stuff. So, right. you know, in 1999, investors were throwing money, you know, Netscape was about to go public or just gone public. And, you know, the, the, this, this whole internet thing was the future and people were, were investing in it. So with the experience that we had, Jimmy and I and a couple other gentlemen started a, a job board called Job Gorilla. It, don't Google it and don't put it into your browser. <laughs> Nothing will come up. Okay. But uh, it, so anyway, that was kind of like our first, my first experience with entrepreneurship after college in a trade, in a profession like computer science and human resources. And uh, we failed bad. In about three months, we ran out of money. Our business plan was really good, except for we missed the revenue part. Um, <laughs> 
if you give away everything for free, you won't be in business for very long. There's yeah. a, there's a entrepreneurial tip. <laughs> so <laughs> the first yeah. one of, of many, and just to be clear, so this was around 2000 or just after the, 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 te- the internet bubble or when, when was this? Yeah, 99, 2000. So okay. it, it was, it was right at the, probably the, 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 the maximization of the expansion of the bubble right before the right. burst and the reality okay. check. So you know, after that, my partner, who uh, his name is Jimmy Herf, we've known each other, you know, since uh, middle school. You know, he's a he's a smart guy, and we've always gotten along, and we've been business partners ever since then. So him and I kind of went back out into the workforce, and uh, that staffing void kind of still kept popping up. You know, even in uh, 2000 and you know, late late 2000, 2001. So we started a staffing company called Herf Web, and that's how uncreative we are. We just use <laughs> our last names for the company name, and uh, we had no marketing, we had no no staff, and we just kind of saw these hiring managers saying, "Hey, we want more people like you guys as consultants." And we said, "Okay, okay well, we can do the math here." we don't scale as individual contractors, but if we have a hundred guys doing what we're doing, that scales pretty good. So, so let's give that a shot. So that's, that's where we kind of started our staffing company. And, uh, and you were actually going out and recruiting folks or identifying the talent where you knowing that you're in the industry can identify if it was COBOL versus a different programming language and be smarter about it. That was the, the intent initially. That's right. We could do okay. a tech interview that no one, no other recruiter in town could do because they didn't know the technology. So we had like this double edged advantage. We were tech savvy. We knew what we were doing. We couldn't be fooled with the answers. And then um, we were also kind of like a wolf in sheep's clothing. We were on site working at the same time. So not only did we know the skills, we knew the company culture, we knew the the managers, we knew, you know, exactly what the day-to-day work was going to look like. And that was an advantage, but it was also a disadvantage because we were so close. We had to be really careful and make sure we did everything by the book, which was our intention all along and the way we did everything all along. But we were kind of even under more of a, uh, a watchful eye from the departments and the corporations that, you know, make sure that everybody's conducting business properly. So that was, that was also a good lesson. Just, you know, just kind of seeing how, how that works, you know, there's gift limits, you know, you can't just go in and say, Hey, if you give me a a nice contract, I'll buy you a new boat. Um, Right. (laughs) Not like the the glory days of the eighties and the nineties, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They, they, people wised up to that. And, and I think in the nineties and two thousands, they, they started to have procurement departments and vendor management systems and those kind of things to, to yeah. prevent that stuff. And that's good for the industry. It really is. Absolutely. Okay. Excellent. So you started that in around 2001 and how long was, uh, well, tell me about the journey there. How did you start finding your first customers and you know, how did, how did that go? Well, since we didn't have any sales staff or business development staff, our customers were our current customers and we really just had one. And um, I'm going to mention another failure. There's a theme here. There's lots of failures strung together. Uh, <laughs> and, and, I, and I hear that from, from a lot of people who are, who are in business for themselves. But about that time, you know, the corporations kind of said, hey, you know, like we're, we're, we're paying a lot of money for these people and hey, they're not that good, some of them, right? This right. goes back to the recruiter dilemma that I'd seen a couple of years ago where they were submitting people who weren't qualified. So the global workforce, mainly from India, kind of came into play around 2001, 2002. And we okay. call it, in our industry, we call it the globalization of, you know, programming. And, you know, we were getting a $125 an hour for a, a programmer and we were all of a sudden competing with $25 to $45 an hour. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, it took the industry uh, about, you know, maybe five to eight years to realize that it wasn't that good of a deal. You get what you pay for. There's a lot of things that couldn't be kind of quantified in that hourly rate. And things have kind of swung back around now and kind of uh, equalized. Right. So okay. um, there is a business case for you know, um, offshoring and it works for some companies and some companies it doesn't work for, but it was a, it was a learning period, I think for the industry and for, for American staffing companies, it was, it was kind of a a shock to our business plan again that we didn't account for. And that kind of, kind of changed everything with the, with the staffing world. And we couldn't do the business that we, that we'd done. So we had to kind of 
pivot again. Yeah. Isn't that the, I was in the, um, the call center business for, for a while in the late nineties and stayed close to it through the, the two thousands. And it was interesting, kind of the same thing where you move from the outsource, right? We had, you know, 10 centers in North America providing outsource customer service and then India and the globalization work there and the lower cost and everybody was chasing the, uh, the savings, if you will, with that, but the service and it was harder to train. And unless you were very specific on, you know, problems you were solving, you're right. There was more as customer demand for customer experience <laughs> increased, you know, the, the value of being able to outsource changed. And, you know, the one thing that still sticks with me to this day, and it's probably 12 years ago, maybe somewhere in that area where an international company, I think it was an India based company app opened up their first US-based company, right? So the outsourcing came full circle where the India-based companies were outsourcing, opening, you know, locations in the United States. So yeah, I, I lived through that. So I can definitely understand, even if it was just, I don't want to call it a fad because it lasted for longer than that, but it, I'm sure it disrupted your, your business model. It did. And one of the things that couldn't be replicated, right? Uh, you could hand a programmer in another country a use case specification to code to where the process fell down was when there was some kind of non black and white. I don't even know how to say it. Uh, issue, issue that came up. Right. Yeah. Like, so we have the way there, there's ways that we do things in the U S and there's ways that they do them in Europe and India and China that are totally different. And unless you live it every day, it's hard to understand. Now you can learn it in it, but that's, uh, that's where the cost savings went out the window is when, when people had to learn, okay, how does, how does banking work or how does insurance work in America versus where, where these programmers were? And, you know, let's face it, we weren't that good at writing really good software specifications back there, back in those days. Agile was very new, if even non-existent at that point, uh, there was this big waterfall approach to software development. So you know, it took you six months to realize that you missed the market month one. And then now it takes you five months to get back to where you really wanted to be. And projects uh, went out, you know, way beyond uh, budget, way beyond timeline. And the executives and um, CIOs, CTOs started reexamining, were they getting the value that they were looking for? And, it, right. and let's be honest, they had the, it took time for the data to be gathered to even make the measurement. So, you had all new KPIs with no data feeding into them. And uh, it, it just took time and, and everything worked out. And as, as it always does and should in a, in a free market where, where people can compete and uh, choose who they want to provide their services. Right. Now, and I think it you know, makes sense from your standpoint too, that you've built this kind of on this service aspect, right? The transparency, we're going to provide you the right skill set that, you know, that was going to come around again and say, yeah, there is lower cost options, but you know, as I think you mentioned, you get, you get what you pay for. <laughs> so depending on what's important to you, you right, you can, you can staff it the, the one of two ways. Okay. Interesting. And so how long did you, did the staffing company run for? Till about 2005. And then that's when things started, uh, you know, we started having to lay some people off and we have, we're, it's 2019. So we know now that 2005 was just the buildup, right? We right. had, we were two to three years away from, from uh, the big one. Right. So we pivoted again and we, our, our thought process was that people kept calling us and asking us to do projects because these projects weren't weren't happening the way that they'd planned them. The, the previous example I used, not, not on time, not on budget. So we saw project work as a way to control our own staffing demands. We were still a staffing company underneath, same structure. Right. But we were, instead of selling hourly labor, we were selling um, you know, full projects. And then we really couldn't be, we didn't have to compete against the globalization because once we won the bid, we could choose who we wanted to staff it with. Oh, and right. we staffed it with the people that we knew were good and right for the job. And we were very successful with this for two to three years. And then 2008 hit. Right. And, you know, our customers lost revenue streams and that impacted us. And the whole time I, I, I kind of left out a really important part in 2004, when we were running our staffing company, we really didn't have a good software package to do that. So being stubborn software engineers, we started writing our own and that was Brightmove. So, 
we wrote Bright Move in 2003 to 2004. We showed it to some local HR departments and they, they bought it. So we thought we had something, you know, we thought we had a product and we had one sales uh, guy working for us, answering the phone and really just doing like inside sales and whatever we needed for Bright Move. So the dust settles from 2008 and like there's Scott up in the other side of the office by himself and is, you know, just, just grinding away like he had been for the last three or four years. And Bright Move was really the only piece of kind of like really the only asset that we had left at the end of 2008. And we said, Hey, why don't we focus on this? Yeah, no, it makes sense. And I, I love so far about your story is everything that you've done has been solving a problem, right? Too often, especially this day and age, I hear the entrepreneurs that, Hey, I've got this great idea, you know, for this solution. They go to try and find a problem where everything you've done to this point has been, Hey, we see this problem. We have this problem. <laughs> you know, how do we solve it? So I think that is a much, even though there were some failures and some pivots, but I still think from a foundational standpoint, much better way to go than, you know, searching for a problem to solve. Right. Yeah. I mean, we were in survival mode and we really were just keeping ourselves afloat and alive. And, you know, we had families and small children back then. And, you know, it wasn't just about us. It wasn't like the, the early days of, of graduating from college and, and being able to travel anywhere that we, you know, wanted to, or got a job offer. So we really had some boundaries and constraints that we had to work within. And, and we were, we really were. We don't deserve that much credit. We were just doing what we had to, had to do yeah. to keep our income flowing in. We knew we always had the fallback where we could just go quote get a job. Right. And we did that a lot, a whole lot. I mean, there's there's many times where I'd go out on a contract and I'd take home sixty percent of my pay and the other forty percent I'd I'd send back to the company and it would and it would, you know, pay somebody else's salary. And I, I benefited from that as well along the way when other people would go out and, and consult. So no, I get um, it. It makes sense. Yeah. So this was now you've got the software. We're finally exiting the the financial crisis of 08, 09. So at this point, is it just the three of you still working, working on the software or how, what did that company look like at that point? Yeah. So at that point it was, it was still just me and Jimmy and, and we kind of folded up everything else and taking care of the, um, taking care of, you know, all of our, the, there's a lot of cleanup when you stop doing business as a business. And that's something that, that I think is important to be aware of if you want to start a business, like when you're done or you, or you have a, you decide to quit, you still have a lot of work left to do. Your name's on a lot of things. Oh, right. um, you have obligations, you have personally guaranteed loans, perhaps. Um, so we kind of took care of that. And um, about that time, uh, it was just Jimmy and I and, and a friend of ours who we'd worked with in the late nineties, his name was, uh, Mike Brandt. Mike was looking for a job and then something new. And he'd been in the HR and technology industry this whole time. So we brought him on as a partner and he really helped grow the company from the one office, uh, you know, and one sales guy to, uh, to something that was sustainable enough for me, namely to, to stop being a consultant and working other places and come to come to work for bright move full time. And okay. He helped me develop the RPO model. We, we literally designed that on a napkin at a, at a deli here in St. Augustine Beach when he came down for lunch one day. And then three or four days, we had a, a prototype. And to this day, we're still the only company out there with a true RPO software model. And it's one of our differentiators. So I'm really proud of that. I'm glad I got to work on that with Mike. Yeah, no, and that's great. And the fact that you were still, you know, scrappy and hustling at the point. So you weren't, it wasn't even, I mean, it was full time, but you were still picking up some side jobs in order to help, you know, continue to float the company and, you know, get to that point where you could go kind of all in and, you know, when, so, so Mike really helped drive some of the new business, the new model, you know, at what point were you able to stop the consulting and, you know, start to, I would say make more investments within the company where you guys were all in at that point. I think it was about uh, five years ago. Okay. Yeah. So Mike had been here a while and he decided he wanted to go do something different and we uh, wished him the best of luck and kind of, I'd been slowly paying myself a little bit more and with Mike's leaving and, and I just decided it was time to, you know, kind of go all in with bright move. The, I could see the growth curve. It looked good. It looked sustainable. It didn't look like that big of a, a risk. It was a very calculated risk to do at the time. And I, and I always had the fallback. So, right. um, 
you know, that up until that point, it was very, it was very frustrating and not really frustrating so much as it was just draining. So I had two full-time jobs at a minimum up until that point. Like I was always working as a consultant and then I, I was definitely doing 40 hours a week for Brightmove, whether it was after hours or, or every weekend. So it was, it was actually kind of a relief to have one job again at that point. And I hadn't really had that since about 1998. And, um, so it's kind of, it, it, it was worth it and it was, it was a lot of hard work. And I guess if I'm thinking about your, your podcast and our audience here, it's, it's really hard and it puts a lot of pressure on yourself just to stop generating income and go work on something. There's no guarantee it's going to work. And as you've probably just gathered from my story, we failed, you know, three or four times. And those are just the ones I told you about. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've failed plenty before that, you know, if you want to count, you know, lawn businesses and stuff like that in high school, but, uh, you know, try your idea, you know, prototype it. And, uh, but, but don't, don't cut your income off, you know, don't quit your job until you have a new one. And I, and I think that's like an adage that we probably got told by our grandfathers at some point, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard work. Uh, we, you know, we talked about one of the books we both read and, and kind of one of the themes of one of the chapters is there's no such thing as an overnight success. Every right. you think is an overnight success was years, if not decades in the making before you even found out about it. And that even goes for the, the unicorns of Silicon Valley today. If you think every brand that you use on your phone just popped up overnight, go listen to some podcasts about, about the origin of those brands and or listen to the other episodes of Brett's podcast, because that's just not how it works. Yeah. Very rarely do you catch that lightning in the bottle. And usually if you do, it's to your point where you've had the three or four eh, failures or learnings maybe is a better way of, of thinking about it. And, you know, to put yourself in a position to be able to capture that when, when the market's ready. And, you know, I think that's such a, a good point to, especially with this audience where a lot of them do are at that point now where maybe you were in, you know, 2014, 2015 that said, Hey, you know, the market's kind of validated what we have here. There's definitely a gap, but then never pulled the trigger to go. I don't want to say, yeah, it would be to go all in on, on the product, right? Where you paid the dues, you tested it, you figured it worked, you know, you were supporting yourself and family while you, you worked on the vision and so, so maybe now is a good pivot point, no pun intended, that you went from, you know, kind of the side hustle or funding it through side work to, you know, at this is it, we've got it, you know, so kind of, kind of walk us through that journey next that you went from basically back now to the two of you to, you know, where, where you are today. And I know it was, it seems again, looking at from O2 to or even 2000 to 2014 seems like a long time, but just in the last four years, you finally were able to crack through, scale the business. And I'm sure you're not done with your vision yet, but kind of talk about, you know, that, that pivot point, what your vision was at that point. I'm sure it probably changed a couple of times and, you know, help us understand that, that chapter of your journey. Okay. I, I wish I could answer this question five years from now, because I know that'll be a lot more, uh, there'll be a lot more clarity to what, what the, what the best answer is for the audience. And I would say, here's what I've learned that there is no substitution for being present in your business. And I've seen other businesses kind of fail trying to, you know, not be involved or doing as little as possible. There's, there's a bunch of entrepreneurial myths you know, one is that once you start your own business, you're rich. Once you start your own okay. business, you don't really have to work anymore. It's like all of those are not only wrong. There's like, they're, they're, they're as wrong as they can be. It's like so if, if there is a level of wrong, they're, 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 they're hundred <laughs> percent wrong. You know, you're going to work more, you're going to make less in the beginning. And if you have a good business plan, which a lot of people skip that step, don't skip that step, come up with a business plan, do a budget. If you don't know how to use Excel, ask your ask your neighbor or whoever knows how to use it. But there's so much planning that we did not do that we should have done. So we get to the point where I'm present every day and not just here, but actually focusing on Brightmove and what we're doing. And, and some things that we immediately started was an employee performance plan. You know, hey, I got an idea. Let's have some company goals. Let's all work toward them, right? It, it makes sense 
<laughs> you know, to say it now, but we didn't have that until, you know, 2015. So just getting your whole staff on board with the same, the same goals, moving in the same direction, everybody's pushing the flywheel at the same time and not against each other. And that made a big difference. And then we had these, all these, you know, just giant initiatives that we wanted to do. And some of them we had to do. So in 2015, Brightmove is 10 years old. In internet years, that's like 80 right. or 100, right? So when we, when we first started writing, when we did write Brightmove the first time, there was no smartphone. There was no iPhone. There was no, I don't even think there was an iPod. There definitely wasn't the concept of asynchronous JavaScript with REST endpoints. And um, don't worry, I'm not going down that road. I won't lose everybody. <laughs> but my, my point is like, we had to overhaul the software and that took two to three years. And that's all we really focused on for the first two to three years after, after I got here. Now, and the customers didn't know it. Our, our analogy that we use lo- in, in the office is we basically had this hotel full of guests and we jacked it up and traded out the foundation and set it back down. And not only did nobody know, but no vases fell over and no pictures fell off the wall. Impressive. It's really, thank you. And, you know, it it took a team of, of good guys, of guys that paid attention to detail and, and there's, that's going on. We're not special. That's going on everywhere. Everywhere you see a product that's been around for a long time, they're going through these transitional phases. Yeah. Especially the way technology is changing and evolving so quickly that if you're not thinking about tomorrow, you're probably already what, six months behind. Yeah. Yeah. If, it, at least. Okay. Yeah. That's best case scenario. So, and, and that keeps me up at night that when we're finally done and cause we're not all the way done yet, when we're finally done, we're probably just going to have a couple years before you have to start doing it all over again. But True. hopefully, you know, we made a little bit better decisions this time. You know, every time you, every time you do something, you should get a little bit better at it. And right. so now that that's behind us, I was able to say, you know what, we really haven't ever done marketing ever. So, and that's because we're a bunch of nerds. Like we like to put our headphones on and write code and we, you can have the best software in the world. If nobody knows about it, you don't have a business. You just have a piece of software. True. So, you know, we brought, um, we brought in some marketing people starting a couple years ago. We now have Heidi green on board as our VP of marketing and she's doing a great job. She has a plan and a vision and she attacks it with this ferocity that I've never seen before. So I'm really excited about what we're doing now and, and, and how much, you know, the marketing is a long game. I'm learning all this stuff and I'm really excited to see, you know, how steep our growth curve can get over the next couple of years because it's already getting steeper and we're seeing the benefits of, of that investment. Um, yeah. So no, that's, that's, that's fantastic. And no, and that, that's great. And I think, you know, the one reoccurring thing, well, there's multiple themes that I've heard, you know, going through these success podcasts is, you know, the, the one I've heard for sure is I wish I would have started marketing earlier. <laughs> and it sounds like you may or may not be in that boat because you had to take care of some of the other, the other pieces first, which I kind of want to go back to. So when you made the decision to start to expand, who were some of the first employees that you, you brought in? And, you know, was there any kind of lessons learned or you wish you would have done differently in hindsight, knowing once you started to, to bring the headcount on or were you pretty diligent about who you were looking for, culture, you know, all that good stuff. I know that's really hard when you're just making kind of that pivot and going into that growth stage. That's, um, that's a good question. And I, um, I don't know if it was on accident or if it could have been done a couple of different ways, but I think the way that I did it, the order in which I did it, it made a lot of sense for us. I had, I think I'd read, I can't remember which book it was, but I'd read a book around that time because I was looking for answers to, <laughs> to, to me doing everything. And I think it was the E-Myth uh, series. Okay. Um, and the first thing I did was I created a billing work aid and I hired a bookkeeper because I was spending, I was spending more time on billing and, and, and collecting payments than really anything. And Offloading that was a was a good step. We also used to do the we also used to mail invoices and get checks in the mail. That was okay. that was painful. So we also wrote the software to interface with uh, you know merchant services companies so we could start doing credit card payments. Um, if you have a subscription service, get your money up front. Use credit cards, cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. That's the okay. message of cash is king, uh, of right? That. It, <laughs> 
It is. And, and having it in your pocket versus uh, in somebody else's pocket is, is really important. You know, if you've earned it, you want to get it. Don't be a bank. That's the, that's, <laughs> that's mean, my that's lesson there. Really good advice. Cause even today I'm drawing a blank and I probably wouldn't call them out anyway, but the number of companies that we still have to write checks to just floors me from an efficiency or an inefficiency standpoint. We're almost in 2020 now, and that's still the, the case. So, so good for you guys for recognizing that early. Yeah, it was, uh, it was important. And, um, you know, then after that, then I hired a programmer, then I hired a system engineer. And those were really, what I did is I said, what's taking the most time of, of mine and, and, uh, really on the weekends and nights, it's impacting my family. And, and those are the roles that I hired first. And after that, you know, we, we kind of expanded our customer support department. Then we expanded sales and marketing. And, and now we have a healthy balance in the company of all those areas. Everything's covered. And, you know, instead of focusing on how to hire more people, we, we look at when we need to hire somebody like, okay, so that's fine if that's the answer, but let's really make sure that's what the answer is. Let's make sure we're not repeating something that can be automated Let's make sure we're not putting, you know, do we need customer service because we're doing bad releases? No, we need it because we've added twice as many customers in the last, you know, three months. Okay, that's a good reason. Let's go hire some more customer service, uh, you know, reps. So there's the, the strategic versus tactical aspect of every decision. And I'd say make more strategic decisions than tactical decisions. You're never going to get away from tactical decisions. But if you have to make a tactical decision, debrief immediately, figure out what happened, and then roll that up into some kind of strategic initiative for the future. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. And it's probably a good point to, to reiterate is a lot of entrepreneurs are going through the journey where, you know, in the early days, you wore every hat, right? You were making the tactical, not even decisions, you were the tactical <laughs> execution. And as the business grows, for it to really kind of thrive, you've got to start to transition yourself out of the the day-to-day to focus more on the strategic versus the tactical. So I'm glad you brought that up because I think that is a area where a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with is starting to make that handoff and realize that they can take a step away and they may, the person you've got hired to do it may not do it as well or do it the exact same way. But you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's going to be, I don't want to say good enough because that doesn't sound right, but it's going to work out and you can tweak the process, et cetera. And it also sounds like you were, you were pretty good and diligent about building in the process. So, cause you had mentioned, is it a way to automate it? And I'm such a big believer in, in getting those workflows. And, and I know in the early days you can over-engineer it where you really should just focus on the three or four key processes. But as you continue to grow and expand, get those workflows documented because there probably is a way you can automate some of that today with technology, right? Yeah. Yeah. First thing you have to do is know your workflow and know what your business process is. You can't automate something that hasn't been defined yet. And uh, even today, when we, we bring on new Brightmove customers, um, you'd be surprised how many people, when you ask them to put, put into words, what, how they do their daily job, they're kind of at a loss. They've never even had to think about it. They're just, they're just hustling. And it's just a change in mindset. And I promise it makes your life happier <laughs> and more yeah. pleasant if you're intentional about the things that you're doing and you know them well enough and you can articulate them well enough to, to find ways to be more efficient in, uh, in doing those. And, you know, all of that stems from the background of Jimmy and, and myself. You know, he's uh, a mechanical engineer by education. And as soon as he graduated, we, you know, he started doing software development because, um, the pay was better than, than that of a mechanical engineer at the time. And, but if you think of engineering and, and software development and both being, you know, kind of applied sciences, there's, there's a lot of process there. Jimmy's favorite quote is if people built bridges, like they built software, all the bridges in the country would be falling down. (laughs) And, um, it's true. Like you don't get halfway through a bridge and be like, you know what, let's, let's move this foundation over a couple of feet, you know, Hey, I know I said I wanted it to be, hundred feet tall, but I really meant 140 and I'd like for you to make it taller and I don't want to pay anything extra for that. So build your software like bridges. That's, that is, that's, that, that's awesome. And we're going to highlight as part of the, the show notes and the episode for that, because I absolutely, you're so right. Cause just the time to rebuild and start over or yeah, it just, it makes so much sense. And we look for the, 
instant, maybe this is an instant gratification, but easy way, right? I will fix it later on the back end once we have something working, but no, I, I love that. So awesome. All right. So now we're present day, kind of give us, you know, what's, what's next for you and what's next for Bright Move. We are going to keep telling people who we are. We're going to do a better job of marketing. I hate it when uh, my biz dev guys call people and they say, who are you and why haven't I heard of you? I want to get rid of that. That's a problem we're solving. As we scale, there's more, I would say, uh, pain points in scaling that I, you know, the first thing I do is I say, okay, has anybody solved this before? Because if they have, I will happily pay to have this pain removed. Right? Right. Um, buy before you build. <laughs> Let's face it, Brightmove is a very expensive um, pro solution to me being stubborn in 2003. If, if something would have been available at the time, I probably would have just bought it and we'd still have a staffing company. But um, anyway, that's, <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's good hindsight right there. But as we scale, as we bring on new customers, we see the same holdups. There's a real problem with how long it takes to get your data from one platform to another as a business. If you want to change providers, we're looking at ways to fix that, not just for our industry and for our customers, but for everybody. Right. Um, so there's, there's some initiatives there and um, the landscape of, you know, humans are always changing. Human resources are always going to change. There's going to be new business models. We just, we try to, um, stay educated, listen to our customers and kind of try to predict the next thing. We did that pretty good with RPO and uh, we, we know there will be more uh, kind of paradigm shifts in our industry and we're just going to keep looking for them and, and, and do our best to grow our market share and, and be a, a brand and a product that, that companies can rely on to help, you know, their, their daily lives to be better when they're at work hiring people. Yeah. And like I said, I think that's awesome. And I think you've, you've solved the first problem, right? You're solving a company, a big company problem. So now it's just a matter of time and effort to let the world know that you, know, you have a better solution or a better mousetrap to the way they've been doing business for probably some cases, I bet 50 years, right? Some things haven't changed. Maybe the tech's changed a little bit, but some of the processes haven't. So nothing but the, you know, no pun intended, bright, bright future for the company. And, um, uh, <laughs> definitely excited to see where you are. And maybe in a couple of years, we'll bring you back for a follow-up episode to see, you know, where the growth that has taken you. So, that'd um, be great. Thanks. Good way to segue. I would like to, to finish with what we call our closing time segment. This gives the audience a chance to get to know you little bit more personal, even though I thought you were very open, you know, kind of with your journey. So I think they already get a sense who you are, but we'll have a little fun with this if, if you're ready to go. All right, let's go. All right. First one, what experience that really helps shape who you are today? And this could be, um, either personal or professional. I, um, Heidi told me you were going to ask me this. So I had a, <laughs> had an opportunity to think about it and, um, I have two answers. And my first one is, well, my first one's a question. Does anyone ever talk about the negative ones or is it always positive? I would say it's probably 80% positive and 20%, you know, I call it negative or lessons learned. But yeah, I definitely say it's more something that's had a positive impact. So yeah, there's, there's, you know, there's nothing like touching a hot stove and, uh, <laughs> and learning from that. So I'd say every time I've touched the hot stove, whether it's been personal or professional, really shaped who I am. And the failures that I've talked about today, they, they all, you know, taught me things that professionally that I've, you know, learned and remembered and, you know, the mistakes in software development that you spend a weekend without sleeping fixing are the ones that you never do again, you know? Right. So, and then, you know, just kind of personally, you know, I grew up in, in Jacksonville, Florida, and um, it's hard starting or being a tech company in the South or on the East coast. And it's obviously a lot different now with the, the way kind of uh, things are more open in the country um, than it was back in the nineties. But that was a real challenge. And, and just kind of being coming from where I came from, which, you know, my business partner is a guy that I've gone to school with since we were in the seventh grade. I also knew my wife since, uh, since high school and, and shortly thereafter. Um, so you know, just kind of, I think this is probably an answer for everybody, but just kind of where I came from really has shaped who I am. And, uh, 
And I don't mean that as like a cop-out answer. No, not at all. I think, you know, I think that's actually a really important point is the people that you're going through the journey with are almost as critical as, you know, the journey or the destination, right? Because if you don't have those right folks or you're fighting or having to, you know, I'm sure there was disagreements and discussions as you went forward, but the fact that you had support and you guys were on the journey together, I think is so critical for an entrepreneur that's trying to, you know, take it to the next level. So I think that's, that's great advice. Yeah. No one in, no one in trust in somebody is really important if you're going to have a business partner. And, um, I can remember when I told my dad that I was going into business with Jimmy, he's like, well, there's the end of that friendship. And I was thinking, Oh, that's, that's not a very good outlook on, <laughs> on life. <laughs> so, you know, uh, you know, along the way I tried to always, always prove that theory wrong. And, um, but I've had frank discussions with Jimmy about, you know, we've seen, long-term friendships go south because of business. And, and, and we've talked about why, why that hasn't happened. And I, Jimmy said, you know, I think it's because when we tell each other, we're going to do something, we do it. And it sounds so simple, but it's the, the trust and just knowing that you can count on the other person uh, to do something as simple as, you know, order, a, order some copier paper, right? <laughs> or, you know, it's, it's the little, the little things in the attention to detail that matter. So, yeah, I think you're so, so right on the trust and probably transparency too, that you guys are open and honest with each other and able to have that relationship. And I think that is so important, especially if it's a, a single entrepreneur that's looking to scale and bringing in, you know, there's a lot of different studies and books that show, you know, one's a visionary, one's the integrator. So vision and operations. And I think there's a, a blend of both, but having both partners sharing the same vision is so critical. I've heard stories of, you know, you can have all the smartest people in the room supporting you know, an entrepreneur, but unless they're completely aligned with the vision, the chances of success are, you know, minute just because of, you know, the, the conflicts. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. It's got to, everyone's got to be on the same page and pushing in the same direction. Got it. Got it. All right. And you may have touched on this earlier, but part number two is a two part question. So one, what is your, your favorite book? And I'll throw the second one. So you can think about both is what is one thing you would highly recommend? And again, that could be personal, professional, anything that is something you would recommend to anybody. You mean like a, a book that I would recommend? Or? Well, I think the, the book, you've, obviously you've got a favorite, you talked about the E-Myths series and maybe there's another one that, that jumps to mind. But the second one could be, we've had somebody, you know, uh, lifelong learning, right? Never stop learning is something you would highly recommend or take a day off was one of my more recent ones. Always try to take at least one day off to spend with your family and not spend, you know, seven days a week on the business. So anything that jumps out to you, I'm not going to hold you, your feet to the fire, but if anything jumps out to you in those two areas. Favorite book is probably the grapes of wrath by John Steinbeck. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, not, not business books. Um, those aren't, those aren't that fun to read. I, I think <laughs> you're living it, right? <laughs> you can learn. Well, you can, yeah, that you can learn, but you know, uh, I, 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 uh, it's a book I read in, um, in high school and I hated reading. I, I still do. I, I read exactly as much as I need to, to learn how to do whatever I'm trying to do. And it's usually like programming manuals, but, um, that book, when I read it, it was interesting to me. It was easy for me to read and is kind of like a, a wake up call to how you have to really take charge and plot your own way. Cause if you just kind of like sit back and ride, you're going to go wherever, wherever the current's taking you rather than uh, kind of being the master of your own destiny. Yeah. So, I love that. And that's it's kind great. of a dark book, but that's what I got out as a, as a young, as a youngster. And it's still obviously stuck with you today. So no, that's fantastic. Okay. So I think if I was giving anybody advice and I would say, don't take advice from just one person and trust your gut. So many times I've thought something was the right thing to do. And I, and I had outsiders, not necessarily uh, bad influences, but just outside influences trying to say that, no, you have to do it this way. Or you have to do it this way. And it seems like every time we come back around, it's to like, Oh man, I should have just listened to like what my, you know, core inside self was telling me to do, um, whether that's, you know, finding someone to hire or letting somebody go or determining what the next feature is that you want to develop or what the next job is that you want to take, you know? Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah it's going to listen to yourself. 
I think that that's great advice. And I would say that's definitely another theme from, you know, kind of the success series that I've heard is it's okay to take inputs, but at the end of the day, the number one person you need to listen to is yourself. So definitely we'll, we'll highlight that. And last but not least, if you only could have one more beverage, you know, to kind of think last meal, you know, what would it be? Probably a coffee or a Diet Coke. <laughs> Speaking my language, I, I think I would go, you know, we've had some people, one of the more interesting ones I had uh, a couple of weeks ago is she said, if I can only have one more, it'd probably be a chocolate milkshake. I'm like, huh, that's actually really interesting. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you in the coffee boat. I have a good cup of dark roasted coffee and it's hard to beat that. So. Or maybe like an orange Fanta, something with so much sugar, you can't even drink it exactly. at, at our age. A&W root beer brings me back to the, the childhood as well. So that's awesome. All right. Well, Dave, I really, really appreciate your time today. And thank you for sharing your story. It's very inspirational. And I think it calls out the importance of persistence and, you know, listening to your customers, you know, solving problems and, you know, following, following that dream. So congrats on your success. I know you're only partway through your, uh, your journey, but, um, thank you for sharing with us. So before we wrap this up, is there anything else you'd like to, to discuss or, you know, in closing, what's, what's the best place for people to find out more about you and the company? If you'd like to learn more about Brightmove and you think we might be able to help you, you can check out our website at brightmove.com and that's B-R-I-G-H-T-M-O-V-E.com. And uh, if you'd like to connect with me, I'm on LinkedIn and I think my Twitter is brightmovedave and all of the uh, standard uh, kind of social media outlets I'm, I'm on thanks to Heidi. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we'd love to hear from you if, if you, if we can help you with something or if you have a suggestion or even, even something that you, uh, might want to ask about, about today's podcast. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm happy to, to oblige. Awesome. And, and again, thanks for the time and I'll add all that information to the show notes. And like I said, we'll catch up with you in a, hopefully not a few years as you guys continue to progress and, and provide some updates. So thanks again for your time and, and have a great rest of your day, Dave. Thank you, Brett, and a great podcast, and I enjoyed being on your, on your show today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to Hardwired for Growth. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player or visit brettrainer.com. That's B-R-E-T-T, followed by his last name, T-R-A-I-N-O-R.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. <laughs>